Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So and so, blah blah, from the NICU. You mm-hmm. know what I mean. So we're just—he's going to be really small when he's born. Blah blah. She's all like bright spirited. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put him in my pocket and I'm going to walk him over to the NICU and then we're going to throw him in like a clear box and like heat him up, like that, just like that. She said, and I'm like, wow. I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm going through like the most traumatic point like in my the history of my life here, yeah. <laughs> and you're completely calm and. Well, Honestly, that be. makes me feel better. Right. You know what I mean? So she, like, really, like, chilled me out, like, right off the bat. They know what they're doing. Oh, those people are. I mean, my daughter's an ER nurse in Chicago. Yeah. And she just shifted to post-cardiac transplant ICU. Oh, man. I mean, you know, you you know, they wheel them in the room, and their heart's over here. Right. That kind of stuff, you know, the tubes, and there's wow. 30 drip bags. And she's walking with drip bags down the hall, and. So those gals there, screw the doctor. The doctor knows what they're doing, but right. the nurses are who keeps it together. They're the real heroes. They I come, really are. I come from a whole family of nurses. Yeah. Um, you know, my my oldest, I'm the youngest of six. My oldest sister at one point was like the chief, chief nursing officer at right. Florida Medical. Um, and she's since like purposely downgraded her positions because right. you can only do that job for so long. Yeah. You know, so now she basically runs a whole floor here at Coral Springs Medical. <laughs> and to her, that's like, an easy right. job, you know, but she's running the entire floor. Right. But I don't know. And then I got like her daughter's a nurse and like my sister's a nurse, my other sister's a nurse, my niece, like a couple of nieces that are nurses, the whole family's nurses. So yep. we're in good hands in case anything exactly. happens. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, yeah, my wife, my, my wife was an ER nurse. Marina's a nurse and, you know, it's, uh, yeah, if someone gets a cut and it's, I mean, it's talked, it's lavaged, it's washed, it's antiseptized, it's, it's 
you know, antibiotic and band-aided. You know, I mean, yeah. it's you know, it's you're good. You'll yep. be you'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, I can't remember the last time I went to like the hospital for an emergency or anything like right. that. It's like I just call my sister. She comes over and takes right. care of the whole thing. She brings her kit. That's pretty funny. Yeah. So yep. anyway, welcome to Connected by Water, which is now officially Connected by Water, presented by Joey Accardi Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Subaru. I got that right. Far out. Yeah. Cool. Um, we're here with Rufus Wakeman. The legend. Ah, I wouldn't go that far. I would. <laughs> How are you? Thank you very much for coming down to visit uh, us it's today. My, it's my pleasure. It's, uh, you know, always enjoyable to do these. It's great to see you. And congratulations on your continued success. And Thank you, sir. I can't wait to go see the bridge. Yeah. No, you got to check it out. Pretty fantastic. Here. Yeah. You know, I mean, any time you get a bridge... Wow, I've made it. I'm, you know, yeah. it's one of those things, you know. It's really kind of, it's still surreal to me. Yeah. You know, that, you know, and the coolest part about it was it wasn't like a call to artists. It wasn't like a um, sort of contest or anything like right. that. I mean, they pick up the phone, they called me to say, hey, we want you to do this. That's cool. And for, to me, that was, you know, it's a huge compliment. Yeah. And the, the whole, that's my stomping grounds. That's where I grew up fishing. That's right, where I grew right. up surfing and just, you know, catching Pompano off that beach. And, yep. Hitting that pier and just catching, you know, and just really, you know, a pier rat there yeah, that's and it. just yeah. surfing Silver Thatch and Second right. Street. And I mean, in that whole marina right there, the first gallery I was ever in was right there at the foot oh, of that bridge. I mean, great history. Yeah, it's really kind of like a full circle it is. thing for us. So, uh, you know, yeah. It's, I mean, I, you know, I can't draw or create anything, but I can sure appreciate it. Well, you're and a you're I, a big I, appreciator of oh, art. I'm we really huge. appreciate I mean, how I, much you I, support I love, all of us. I love art. I love, uh, the people who can create it. it, it's just such a gift. It's such a gift to be able to see in that three-dimensional or two-dimensional, three-dimensional sort of plane and be able to do that and create depth. And I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could barely draw stick figures, you know. It's just one of those things. That hemisphere of my brain just doesn't function. People always know? ask me that. They're like, you know, when did you start drawing? And I'm like, I don't ever remember a time not drawing. Right, you, know, right. you know, being an artist, it's kind of, I always say this, it's it's what you are, it's not necessarily what you do. Yep. I think everyone needs to have that base, at yeah. least, that foundation, that starting point. Right. Um, it, art can be taught. That's why art schools make millions exactly. of dollars every exactly. year. You know, um, but in order for it to be taught, you need to have that basic understanding. Well, you first. know, the, the mind has an eye, the mind's eye. Yeah. And when that mind's eye sees what you want to put down, just makes it so much easier. Yeah. You yep. know, like some people struggle with it and struggle with it. And they go to art school and eventually after trial and tribulation, you know, it happens. But then you have people such as yourself who just sit down and boom, 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 boom. And there it is, you know. Yeah. Oh, you want to see a sailfish? Oh, or you want to see a horse? Or, I mean, I have a dear friend of mine, Bill Elliott, mm -hmm. who is, uh, he was at one point the art director for the Bronx Zoo. Okay. And he has illustrated like 30-something books, and and he's done, you know, from pencils to watercolors to acrylics to oils. He's done the full gambit. Uh, I personally really like his pencils. Mm -hmm. They're just to check them out. so detailed. He's in his early 70s now, and age has taken its toll. He's got the shakes, if you will, and mm -hmm. can't really put a pen to paper anymore. And it's, but he lives in North Carolina and he's got to be frustrating. Fisherman. Oh, 
his I can't even imagine. I mean, Bill is he's a master fly caster, master fly tire, master artist. And, you know, he's kind of lost the art thing. So now he just piddles around the house and and goes fishing whenever he can. Yeah. And maybe uh, he should get into like abstract art. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure he could achieve that. But, you know, it's it's such an incredible and, you know, I know you, I know Guy Harvey, I know Carrie Chen, and I, I, I collect art by, you know, John Hamburger, Stanley Meltzoff, uh, Ron Digby, who is a, uh, a gouache watercolor painter, uh, paints raptors, birds of prey, and so forth, and he's had books done on him, and, and uh, you know, gosh, it's too many to even think of. But we can all agree Stanley Meltzoff's the hero. Yeah. Now, I mean, you know, Stanley I mean, was He's kind of really what paved the way for us. Yeah, exactly. Know, for, for guys like yeah. me and, you know, and, um, you know, he truly is, you know, I mean, you try to define him in a word and it's really so tough. I mean, there's just <sighs> such an extensive body of work yep. there. Um, you know, I kind of look at it as, um, you know, points of inspiration for sure. But, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, it, it was a gateway right. you know, that opened up. Right. And I know Don Ray would say the Don same thing. Ray, Don, yes, Don's Don. a huge fan of Stanley. Yeah, he Don was, he was actually had... friends with him, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, and Don, that's almost kind of like a passing torch for me because, right. you know, when I was, I told you about that gallery, the Wildfish yeah. Collection, that's when I first met Don when I was 17, right, a 17-year-old right. artist, and he's always been very much of a mentor. Yeah, you know, oh, for Don me. Ray's so work it's kind of like you know passes along, right? Him and Al Barnes and Al, a yeah, lot the late of Al the, Barnes, yeah, right. yeah. Yep. and and gosh, John Carroll Doyle, Russ Smiley, and John Carroll Doyle, John Carroll Doyle, yep, away. he yeah. did really. I yeah. didn't know that. I yeah. think about a year or two ago. Yeah, yeah. I had one, one of the first pieces of art I ever had was one of his, where it was a marlin jumping in a stormy setting mm -hmm. in a rough sea with a mahi flipped off its bill yeah and it was just one of those paintings i wish i still had it but in a a moment of alcohol induced you know what's emotion. the word i'm looking for yeah emotion or I gave it to a friend of mine. There you go. <laughs> Sounds like you yeah. all need to be friends with Rufus. Yeah, yeah right. And it was like <laughs> and really have a drink one with of them. the, like one of the, or, or several. It's going to take several, but <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's just, you know, art is such a cool thing. And I love the marine art. I love some of the new stuff you see, some of the, uh, you know, the wood things, the, you know, the driftwood mm -hmm. sculptures. Yeah. And, there's that guy, Nicolas Just over in Africa, who does the aluminum mm -hmm. things, which are just magnificent. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm a big bronze lover, Kent Ulberg, yep. and, you know, Bodo Muche, and you remember, some of the other um, guys. remember Pierre, Captain Pierre? Pierre yeah, Pierre. Yeah, I have man. one of his belt buckles. Really? Yeah, he was yeah. a cool dude, man. Yeah, I remember yeah. seeing him when I was a little kid. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what really ever happened right. to him, but... Um, yeah, I believe he's gone. Yeah, I believe he. Yeah, he was an older guy when, ago, when yeah. I knew him when I was seventeen. Yeah, so yeah he, fantastic know. artist. Mm -hmm. You know. Yep, and um, you know, it, it, it's amazing to see the path in this industry um, continue on. Yeah, from from that respect too, right. how, how it keeps evolving, keeps changing. I know we try to evolve here, and we try to change here, and mm -hmm. think out of the box, or you know, whatever. Just try new approaches and new things, like the things like the Stanleys and and all those guys are doing great in there. Right very well established in what they're doing. They have a great foothold on, on their lives and right. their careers as artists. So there's no worries there, but I think it's almost the responsibility of the next generation to s evolve that and yeah. come up with things that are new, come up with things mm -hmm. that are different, whether it's working with new mediums, whether it's working, um, 
with new subject matters or different perspectives. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't want to just sit there and stay in that lane and produce the same things that right, those guys right, did. I mean, right. like, first of all, it wouldn't be right to them, right. you know, to try to just duplicate their right. body of work, right. you know, um, but you also want to be unique in your own, right? Yeah. Like in the, have you seen the book, Stanley's book? I haven't yet, oh, actually. Yeah, no, it's, I heard. It's yeah. pretty spectacular. Well, there's one, there's, he actually started doing like manuals, mm -hmm. like, you know, like Audubon machinery stuff? manuals. Oh, okay. oh, I mean, yeah, that's how he started out in his career. That and 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 I, I want to say sort of like a futuristic kind of space stuff, you mm -hmm. know, like uh, Sputnik sort of, you know, yeah, lost in space kind, kind of, of sci-fi. Yeah. yeah, and uh, there's one of the greatest photographs of any underwater or any marine artist period is a picture of Stanley Meltzoff underwater with a scuba tank on and an easel. He's got, <laughs> he's standing in it with an easel with no mask. So he can kind of sketch what he's seeing with a distortion. It's a photo? Yeah, it's a photograph of him underwater yeah. sketching on an Pre -technology. easel. Pre-technology. Oh, yeah. You know, but that was it. A good friend of mine is uh, Susanna Waterman, and her father was Stan, is Stan Waterman. He's 97, 96. Mm -hmm. He is the, well, he's the videographer of our of my generation. He's the uh, sort of the Jacques Cousteau of underwater videography. Mm -hmm. He created the first underwater housings, and back in the 50s, he did Blue Water, White Death with Peter Gimbel, and... Stanley is just uh, a wonderful, wonderful fella. I mean, I've had the pleasure of having dinner with him a, a, on occasion. And the Blue Wild, you know, mm -hmm. the big show yep. that yep. Um, Sherry Day puts on sure. down in Lauderdale. Stanley, for years, was the guest featured. You know, he was the talent. Mm -hmm. And he came there one year, and Susanna, she would always accompany him. Because let's face it, he was in his 90s, you mm -hmm. know, late 80s and 90s, and she would sort of make sure that you know, he got up the stairs safely and got to all of his engagements and so forth. And he moved his family to Papiete Bay over in Tahiti for a year just so they could live in another culture. Come on. And, ah, oh, it's what a bunch of photographs are so fantastic of Gar and Gordy and Susanna growing up, the three kids with Watermans. And, mm -hmm. I mean, some of the, you know, he'd jump overboard with a box as big as a milk crate, you know, with right. a camera in it, you know, stuff like that. And yeah. everything was just starting, mm -hmm. you know, and it was just uh, just to, you know, to have, you know, know the people who have, you know, were the predecessors of all of this is pretty cool. Yeah, that is you cool. Know? And, I mean, Stanley's, a, he, his last dive, I think, was in either Roatan or Fiji. He was like 91 or 2. Mm -hmm. And there he is at the bottom before everybody scurrying along and diving at 91. 90, yeah, wow. Yeah. And then finally he came to the surface and said, that's, that's it. it. I'm done. Yeah. And cause his Susanna's husband, the pressure John, John, John Reed is one of my dearest best friends. And mm -hmm. John will be down at my house this week for Thanksgiving and with Susanna and, and I've known John 40 something years and, and they finally found each other. They grew up together and, both had marriages, and then finally the stars brought them back together, and they've been together for about 12 or 13 or 14 That's years good, now, yeah. and it's great. It's and good story. I, it's just their their life is a wonderful life and full of happiness and joy and 
fishing and traveling and they, they have a big house in Maine. The parents, Stan and his wife, have a big house in Maine called the Punch Bowl. Really? Which is on sort of a body of water that is like a punch bowl. You yeah, know, it's that's like a cool. round body of water bay and the house overlooks it and I mean I've never been there but I can't wait to go. Awesome. You you mentioned um about that thing with the exposed to different cultures. I mean, although you are set up with the the River Palm Cottage, and you're pretty yep. you're pretty much a staple there in the Jensen Beach area. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're you've traveled everywhere. Pretty much, life has taken me to the four corners of the world, and from Africa to Australia to the Seychelles to Galapagos and Brazil and Argentina and Alaska. I haven't really fished Alaska properly, but I fished it. I've caught grayling and pike. <laughs> I can't wait to catch big rainbow trout and salmon and stuff like that. But yeah. I'm saving that for later in life. Well, guess what? Later is here. Later is you here. Know? I yeah. mean, I'm only 57, but, you know, 67's right around the corner. Yeah, I've been and dying to go to Alaska and fish. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, Pat Ford is a really dear friend of mine. And Excellent, Pat's, amazing photographer. Oh, God, he's fantastic. But he's just a great friend and good mm-hmm. buddy. And, yeah, the fact he takes a good picture helps, too. But we've been good friends for 20 years, and uh, and I just think the world of Pat. I consider him one of my dearest best friends. And, That's great. And uh, we've had the pleasure of fishing in the Seychelles and Africa and the Galapagos and mm-hmm. a lot of the places I've been is because Pat said, "Hey, you want to go here? Yeah, sure, I'll go." Yeah, you know, and uh, and uh, you know, Pat's always been a real global angler, and uh, it, you know, it's I'd move to Australia tomorrow if I could. The really? fishing's just that good there. Yeah. And uh, like to Cairns? No, I'd probably live somewhere south of Cairns, mm-hmm. maybe in the Hinchinbrook area. And uh, or maybe even in Hervey Bay down around Fraser Island, it's you know you got flats fishing, you got the offshores right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never and, been. So and and Exmouth Australia on the west coast is Exmouth is as far away from here as you can get without you know going the other way around the world. It's twelve thousand five hundred miles. Yeah, from here, and uh, it's arguably the finest saltwater flats fishing, fly fishing destination on the planet. Really? For, you can catch black marlin, sailfish, striped marlin, blue marlin, maybe stripes and blues not on fly because they're a little further offshore and bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, blue marlin being up to 1,000 pounds there, and but you don't get too many little ones. And most of the striped marlin there are well over 100 pounds, so... And you're not going to get a lot of shots, but the black marlin and the sailfish in 300 feet or less, yeah. 400 feet or less, you're going to see three, four, five, six, seven a day sometimes. Wow. Yeah. Th- those are good and, numbers. Um, and they're all under 100 pounds. You know, the black marlin are under 100, 150 mm-hmm. and smaller. So, I mean, I've caught a handful of them and they're all, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 pounds. So mm-hmm. they're it's a great fly fishing fish. They get cobia. They get two species of permit, queenfish, four species of trevally, uh, mackerel, um, bonefish. I think the GTs you know. over there is a big thing, right? Oh, uh, the GTs are big. Well, the whole yeah. Indo-Pacific. Yeah. You know, from Christmas Island, which is south of Hawaii, mm-hmm. all the way to western or eastern Africa, which encompasses Australia, New Guinea, all the you know atolls in Micronesia, uh, the Seychelles, yeah. the Andaman Islands, all of that is is GT heaven. Yeah, 
And then, you know, we're fortunate we have Jack Cravel here in Florida. <laughs> so I came up, you know, I always say, well, everyone travels around the world to go catch a giant Trevally. Well, you could just stay here in Florida and catch giant Jack Cravelli. <laughs> and it's, you know, I don't know. I think our Jacks fight just as hard as a GT does. They just don't get to 100 pounds. Right. That's the thing. You know, they and just, that's they the just thing. don't get as big. Yeah. No, you know, I mean, if you catch a 40-pound Jack these days, an honest 40-pounder, which is about 50 inches, mm -hmm. you've caught something really special. Yeah. You go back in the 70s, and there was a lot more of them. The Palm Beach Inlet was loaded with them. You know, Cynthia Boomhauer's got a bunch of records, and some of the, you know, old-timey guys there in the Palm Beach Inlet, you know, 40-pounders, 50-pounders. Mm -hmm. And I think the world record Jack is... I want to say about 60, and I want to say it comes from Western Africa. Yeah. Either Western, yeah, prob prob probably Western Africa, Angola or, you know, Guinea-Bissau or mm -hmm. you know, Sierra Leone or someplace like that. But they get big, big ones over there. You're a pioneer um, of the sport in a lot of respects, um, especially in the fly fishing aspect of it. Um, take me through a little bit of some of the things you've done on the billfish end with that. Well, the billfish thing for me started in – Probably 86, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, as a kid, I had seen a video of Bob Stearns on, I want to say, Wide World of Sports or American Sportsman, that old Kurt Gowdy show. Yeah. And uh, they were in Panama or Costa Rica, and, you know, Bob Stearns caught a sailfish or something, and then up comes a big, you know, black marlin, and he throws the fly, and you see the fly popping through the water, and, you know, the fish comes up and looks at it and turns off and never eats it. And it was like an indelible thing in my mind, you know. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, wow, I really want to do that one day. And and so, uh, and then Tarpon, I saw a video in, uh, in the, you know, someone shot a video. I want to say it was Stu Apt and down in the Keys catching Tarpon on a fly. Now, I had started fly fishing in Wyoming when I was about nine years old. My mother would take me to a dude ranch out there, HF Bar Ranch between Sheridan and Buffalo in a little town called Saddle String. Saddle String. Saddle String, Wyoming. And I, there was a professor from the University of Maryland there, Mr. Mr. Professor Platt. And he had his two sons and his wife and his, grand, and his parents would come every summer. And this gentleman was into f looking for arrowheads and into butterfly collection and all these cool things that I just naturally took to. Right, and he taught me how to tie flies. On, and I'll never forget sitting in his cabin, Garden Spot was the name of the cabin. Mm -hmm. HF Bar Ranch consists of around fifty or fifty-five cabins, and it was created by the Horton family in 1904, and it was incorporated in 1904. But it started out sort of as, well, hey, we got this piece of property and we built these cabins, and hey, if you want to come here and build a cabin, you can hang out. So that's what happened. These families started going there and building these cabins, and they were all on the stream that ran it's through like the a property. Fly fishing community. And of well, a... this is back in the early 1900s, right. so it's you know kind of grew, and so forth. And and it's a dude ranch, so you go right. there to ride horses, and you know that was one thing I actually did as a kid was I'd wake up, go eat mess with you, go eat chow hall with all the wranglers, and go out at six in the morning and. Wrangle the horses, you mm -hmm. know, 200 head of horses. 
And to this day, I was really probably still the only dude at the dude ranch to ever do that. You know, <laughs> I just wanted to be, you know, part of the fun. Yeah. And I'd hang out with some of the, you know, the the wranglers where they kind of took me under their wing and, you know, befriended me. Who's this little kid who's asking all the right questions? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he's not a bad little kid. He's kind of a pain in my ass. But, you know what, we'll tolerate him. Yeah. And, I'd you know, I'd polish some of the saddles and I'd hay the horses and, you know, take the curry comb and, and groom some of the horses. And Dean Thomas was the uh, head wrangler. Right. Who was a real good friend of my mother's and the owner. And he lived up behind Hank Horton's house. Hank was a she. And her name was Henrietta. <laughs> but everybody called her Hank. And she was a crotchety old broad. That's good you stuff know, right who, there. Uh, she was fantastic. And um, and I'd hang out with Dean up at his cabin. And, and uh, you know, he was... So I learned a lot about adult stuff as a really young kid. You know, being a... You know, a young man, a young boy in a world full of men out in Wyoming, you know, and, you know, and horses and lassos and friggin', you know, steers and dirt and mud. And, and you know, so I, I just, you know, rolling in the mud and throwing a rope Clean on outdoor it, living. just great stuff, man. Yeah. And, you know, walking around for hours and hours bent over looking for arrowheads and stuff and then Mr. Platt in the cabin garden spot we lived in the cabin Meadowlark which was right next door to it mm-hmm. and I learned how to tie flies and I was probably nine or ten and I caught my first trout on a fly that I tied and that was pretty much it for me and then you know I went there till I was about 14 I'm from about maybe eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen maybe five or six years I went there and just loved it, you know, that outdoor riding horses and met a lot of great people. I mean, some of my friends from there, one of them is a brother and sister, Josh and Mary McLaughlin. Josh directed all the Wolverine movies. His grandfather was Victor McLaughlin, a, a big actor in, in Hollywood and producer and okay. so forth and uh, director. And so, and then Mary, his sister, she just did the last installment of the Planet of the Apes movie. The, you know, the war for the planet? Yeah. Yep. And she did uh, the hotel, you know, the Hotel Del Rey or whatever it was mm-hmm. with Jeff Bridges. And, you know, it's kind of a macabre, dark, really strange movie, but really good and entertaining, you mm-hmm. know. But that's, you know, like the people you meet at this ranch, you know, we're all movers and shakers and, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, riding horses with them and throwing rocks in the stream and. And, you know, just good, like you said, just good, clean outdoor living, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I started fly fishing at a pretty young age. And I saw these videos and, you know, well, one day I'll do that. You know, one day I'll throw a fly at a tarpon. One day I'll throw a fly at a billfish. So we went to Mexico and uh, I brought a fly rod and, and you know, 12-weight, just like a tarpon rod. And and um, we caught a bunch of fish on Ballyhoo. And I didn't throw the fly that year. And then in 87, I threw the fly and I caught a sailfish. And then in 88, I went to Africa and fished with Skip on the hooker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the madam and the hooker and hung out and set a, set a world record there, a 12-pound so tippet fly. Really then, like, through that innovation of, like, you and Skip, like, I think primarily really, I mean, set in motion that entire fly fishing for billfish well point, it had been it? done prior i mean like but Pat, i mean you really like guys really like well moved, Bill, started okay. moving it forward i went to uh well billy pate was sort of the guy who really and you okay. know billy pate caught the first blue marlin on fly i i actually have i can take credit 
for defeating Billy Pate's Pacific fly rod record on eight-pound tippet. You know, his was, I think, Bob Stearns had it, then Billy Pate beat him, and then I beat Billy Pate. And I knew Billy Pate. He was a wonderful Southern gentleman. I had mm-hmm. dinner with him. We conversed. We fished on Home Assassin together, and and I, I have nothing but respect and admiration for Billy Pate and Bob Stearns and all Absolutely. these guys. Bob Stearns is one of the finest technicians along the lines of a Larry Dahlberg kind of a technician. I'm going to take this lure and make it better. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put better split rings on it. I'm going to put better hooks on it. I'm going to weight the lure. I'm going to tweak it. I'm going to, you know, and that was Bob. And Bob was a real drag guy, really into drags and, and you know, using different oils to lubricate reels for maximum performance, stuff like that. That not only, you know, you buy it, you put it on a rod and you throw it, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, Bob would take it, take it apart, degrease it, put it back together and use, you know, like... Sewing oil, you know, stuff like that. Sewing machine oil and get the it would spin for a week mm-hmm. and that whole nine yards and just you know taking it to the next level. Yeah, you know, and but you know, so you evolved with. Oh, I cut you off there. You right. saw, I didn't cut you off when you got the skip there and the hooker. Yeah. And well, anyway, like so skip. Well, I was the first fly guy to get on the hooker. Okay. Probably the only one, and uh, I fished in Africa, Dakar, Senegal. Then I fished him in. Costa Rica. Basically, I met Skip. A, a mutual friend of ours introduced us. We had lunch at Singer Island at Sailfish Marina. And I met Skip and I said, well, where are you going? You know, where's this whole thing going? He goes, well, we're in Ivory Coast, Africa now. And they had done away. had set some god-awful 680-pound blue marlin on 20-pound test. And wow, that's impressive, mm-hmm. you know, and all, all, all of that stuff. And and uh, I said, well, you know, are you going to Australia? And they go, yeah. And I go, well, I'll book 30 days in Australia. And he said, well, you got to fish this first somewhere right. else, you know. Right. You, you got you to gotta ease into the program. So mm-hmm. I'm okay, great. Where are you right here? Where are you going next month? Yeah. <laughs> right. Dakar, Senegal. Okay, I'm, I'm your huckleberry, right? I'll go. Yeah. <laughs> so I went. Then I went to Costa Rica. And then that was in 89. I fished him in Costa Rica. So I guess it was that summer that I went to, they left Costa Rica, they went to Hawaii. I flew to Hawaii, got on the boat, and crossed to Kansas, Australia, 20 days at sea. But we went from Hanukkah Harbor, I flew into Kona, we loaded the hooker that night, mm-hmm. loaded it that, or I got in there late, I crashed, and the next morning woke up, got a hold of the guys, Scott Levin and Greg Mercurio, and we hooked up, and. We loaded the hooker in Hanukkah Harbor that evening, or maybe it was the next evening. I think it was the next evening, the, the second day I was there, and went to Honolulu. And we spent a week there. You know, we scratched some paint off the boat and repainted some stuff and reprovisioned the boat. And then, you know, it came time to fuel the boat. So we had to move the madam over to some fuel dock and mm-hmm. you had to dismantle the master bedroom because the fuel vent was under the master bedroom bed. So, and I mean, for those, for those that are listening that don't understand what the madam is, that was the flagship of the hooker that allowed it to travel all over the world. It was a 110 foot converted oil rig tender, kind of a, you know, crew boat from Louisiana, swift ship crew boat. And Jerry Dunaway bought this thing for a song and a dance and, you know, put a whole, put about a million bucks into it and turned it into really a giant floating palace that pulled a 50 footer up on the back deck. And it was the, you know, the El Zaro. The El Zorro was considered the first real mothership with a game boat on it. Mm-hmm. Then the hooker and the madam came along, and then 
Jean-Paul built the French look and Greg Norman built his Aussie rules and stuff, but no boat did what the Madam and the Hooker did. She went around the world and set, you know, 40, 50 world records and so forth for mostly billfish. And, uh, you know, Deborah Maddox had at one time, you know, Jerry Dunaway's wife had a royal billfish slam of all current world records. Now, that is arguably the greatest feat ever done wow. by an, an angler to have, all, uh, you know, all nine species of billfish. Right. And all of them are current world records. So that's an incredible that's thing. Neck breaking. There's a Moroccan gentleman right now, Fouad Sayahoui, mm -hmm. who's been throwing flies at billfish for years. And Fouad Sayahoui is only a few fish away from having that on fly. Mm hmm. You know, I, th I mean, I know he's got black marlin and white marlin and Atlantic sailfish, and he might have a spearfish record. He might have a stripe. I mean, he's only two or three. He's got swordfish. He's only two or three away, maybe three or four away from having a royal billfish slam of current world records on fly. Wow. And that's... You know, that's going to be a hard one to beat, you know? That's, yeah. That, that's I mean, that's going to be a really hard one to beat. That's time and dedication. And, it's time and, and dedication. Yeah, you know, sure. he's got plenty of money, and he his boat lives in Cape Verde. Mm -hmm. So the Blue Marlins, no, the Atlantic Blue Marlins are a piece in the of right cake. Spot. And, yeah. You know, he's already got the 20, the 16, or he's got the 16 and the 12. Mm -hmm. And the 20, I know he's after it because Bill Buckland at Fisherman Center sent him some flying gaffs. And, or oh, not really? flying gaffs, but straight gaffs, those titanium okay. straight gaffs, which are... These things are ab carbon fiber handles mm -hmm. and these titanium heads. I mean, the gaff weighs as much as this swordfish bill, and it's an eight feet long. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it weighs nothing. They weigh like two pounds or three pounds, you know? Really? Yeah. It's incredible. Wow. I mean, the gaff head's titanium. I mean, it, it weighs as much as it can, you know? Yeah. You know, like yeah. that. I mean, it's nothing. And you can't bend it, you know, and it's it's sharp as a, a needle. Mm-hmm. And the carbon fiber shaft, you know, it's just, they're, they're you know, they're thousand dollar gaffs. Yeah. You know, really, you, yeah. You, I mean, you, the right you, equipment isn't cheap. You get what you pay you know, for. And that's, you know? you know, I mean, that's relative to anything, you know, yeah. for the most part. You you want the best of the best, and yeah. you're going to have to pay for the best of the right, best. Right, right. I mean, if you can afford it, go for it, you know. But yeah, so anyway, you know, the Madam and the Hooker was 20 days at sea, and we got to Australia and, <clears throat> you know, started fishing there. I think we caught, I think I caught 16. I caught 16 black marlin that year and was Bill Fish Foundation's top tag angler for mm -hmm. that for 1989 or whatever it was. Gotcha. And uh, I mean, it you was were like, a, well, you were like the first one to really do that, like in, in a complete year, though, wasn't it? No. Well, the fly fishing thing was uh, I try, I set out in 2015 to catch a billfish royal slam on fly, and no one had really tried it. Right. I got eight of the nine, and I couldn't get the swordfish. Yeah. Now, you have, like, Jeremy Block, who lives in Kenya. He had the swordfish. Mm -hmm. Marty Arostegui had the swordfish, and those guys had probably never really thought of doing that. Mm -hmm. So I kind of inspired them. Roy Kronecker had, he had a few of them on fly, and then he caught the swordfish off of Florida, and I had tried... And, you know, Skip Smith had started trolling the planers with silooms. Right. And, and there are a lot of people who have, you know, tried since. But it's very hard to bring them to the surface, easy. though. You it's, know well, I mean? you're going to see two or three a night. I mean, one or two, two or three. Yeah, but then they can convert that. Then it's they got to get yeah, in and eat the yeah, fly. Yeah. I mean, I had one bite. 
I, I know that Roy Kronecker's caught two, and he's had several on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Roy's after the record. Ah, that must have been heartbreaking. Roy, oh, it's just terrifying. To actually you know, get one on and then lose get, it? Get one on and have the line, fly line, get wrapped around the reel coming <sighs> off the deck. You know, I mean, switching billfish yeah. during the day wow. is kind of difficult. Right. At night, it's like doing it by Braille. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, just put a blindfold on it. You know, it's, you know, because you got to keep the boat dark. Swordfish right. are pretty light sensitive. They mm-hmm. don't really want to run into daylight, so... Yeah, you know, they, you got to kind of keep the boat dark. So the only light we had on was the galley light, which just cast enough of a glow that you know, okay, I, I'm not going to fall. Yeah, you know, I, uh, there's a stair there, or there's a step, or there's something. Need, like in my... the, the military infrared <laughs> yes. vision or something. Like that. Yeah, then I, that'd really throw me off. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably fall over. Yeah, you know, but no, you know, and so I'd like to think I inspired these guys to go do that. Sure, and. Uh, and I'm not, and you know, I'll get my swordfish one day. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I spent 20 grand trying to catch one fish. Screw it. Right. You know, I got frustrated. I got pissed off, you know, and I mean, I fished on April 11th. I fished that night, the one year I was mm-hmm. out there trying, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so then I, and so then I even tried to bump it more and I went to back to the Dominican Republic. You can shuffle your cards you can shuffle the deck mm-hmm. by going and catching your last fish again your first fish last okay so i had caught my blue marlin on april 11th so the next so you just the, have to do it within 365 so 65 days. days right okay. so the next fish i caught was in september I, I i caught a blue marlin and a sailfish and a stripey Nick Smith was kind enough to invite me and take me to Costa Rica to go fad fishing mm-hmm. with him. And I caught three of the nine species in two days, you know, down there on those fads offshore of Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. So I so if I wanted to get to September, then now I got to go catch that first fish again. Right. So I went and caught it. <clears throat> and I caught it in May. So... I had gone from April, then I went a full year and caught the fish again in May. So now I had till September, September yeah. to May. You see, you can yep, shuffle yep, the okay, deck. Gotcha, so you gotcha, see. Yep. So I went and I and I caught the uh, the Atlantic blue marlin again, and then I went sword fishing four nights that summer. And it, you can't do it in the summer. There's too much lightning. Yeah, that's tough. Swordfish are very, once again, the strobes are going off. Yeah. The lightning, swordfish ain't going to come up. Probably this time of year would be. Right now, it. right? Yeah, October, yeah. November is a really good time. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and we actually went. I fished with VJ Bell on the Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That's who I got the bite with. I fished with Bouncer. I fished two nights with Bouncer, and it was just a strobe show, just yeah. lightning constantly. And we never got a bite. Mm-hmm. So then I went with VJ. We had one night of just nothing but lightning. And then the next night we had lightning until about 11 or 12 o'clock. We had a lull till about 2. And we got a bite at like 1 and another bite at like 2, two or 2.15. Right. And none of them would tease in. Right. But And then at like 2.30, boom, there's another strobe show. And we fished till 4.30, and we never got another bite. Mm-hmm. So I really, yes, lightning is the kiss of death. And so is west wind. West wind. That's yeah, always, sure. you know, if yeah. wind, wind out of the west. West wind's the devil. Right, don't go sword yeah. fishing. So, you know, I got frustrated and just kind of hung it up and figured, screw it, I'll get it one day. And, 
you know, one day's rolling up here. I'll, well, I'll if go. I have confidence in anyone yeah. on this planet to, yeah. to achieve that, it's yeah, you. we'll go That's get it. Sure. You know, I mean, but you know, I'm I'm not going to do the year thing because that gets expensive, and you start chasing. I had yeah. to go back to Australia. I had to go back to Hawaii. I had to go back to Mexico. Wow. You know, so when you start talking about going back to places, you know, there's another ten grand. There's another ten grand. There's another ten. I mean, it's yeah, a, like it's all ten grand. You know, yeah. that's how it is. You know, yeah. it's not cheap. You yeah. know, I, you- and I get a buddy of mine, my good dear friend Scott Loper. With donkey, I'm Shrek. He's donkey. For all you Facebook fans out there, you've seen us as Shrek and donkey on another whirlwind adventure, you know. And uh, Scott and I grew up. We our first fishing trip together was I went up to Lake of the Woods, Ontario, in in like '85 or '86 or something. And I called Scott. I'll call him Booty because his nickname's Bootman. Mm-hmm. And I gave Booty a call, and I said, "We were all into bass fishing then." And I and I said, "Look, man, you got to come up here. This is really cool. I'll pick you up in International Falls. It's about a two-hour drive for me to get there. But if you can get your ass to International Falls, I'll pick you up, bring some rods." And I had trailered my little 17 whaler up there, and we're mm-hmm. staying, staying at. I love the 17 whaler. Yep. We always give shout outs to the 17 yep. whaler in this 17 show. 17 whaler, man, <laughs> great boat. I still have it. I still have the boat. I've had it for 30 something years. Yep. Yeah, it was probably 86 or 87. Yeah, 86. And um, I said, meet me at International Falls, and you know we're living on Young's Wilderness Camp, which is an island on a lodge. It's sort of like a peninsula, but it's almost. Where is this? Young in in Lake of the Woods, Ontario. Ontario, okay. Up in that, I mean, this wood, this lake is just insane. It's all literally cut by glaciers. Yeah, you know, back wow. in the Precambrian period, you know, <sighs> these glaciers carved these big giant walls of rocks out. You know, ice is strong when it wants to be. Sure is, and it just cut. I mean, these, it's like a five hundred foot vertical cliff right down into the water, you know, and we would troll, you know, creek chubs in front of it and get stomped by northern <laughs> pike and stuff, and it was just so cool. Yeah. But we're fishing Sabascong Bay, you know, this weedy bay, and you'd watch mink run along the shoreline or beavers and bald eagles and, you know, come loons and, I mean, real on Golden Pond stuff, you know, and it was just fantastic. That was our first fishing trip. Then we went to St. Thomas together and you know, then did this, did that, went to the Keys a bunch, you know, and uh, St. Th- um, Thomas. Then we went to Mexico. God, we went to Mexico like four or five years to Isla Mujeres and, and caught sailfish and white marlin and stuff like that and big dolphin. And, you know, I got lucky and caught a world record big dolphin down there. It's stood for 30 years. Wow. 52 and a half, 53 and a half pounds on 15 pound fly. I'm just enamored listening to all of this. Oh, I, I really am. This, this is, I mean, you've forgotten more fishing and more adventures <laughs> than most people will ever even yeah, get close it's to sniffing. A, it's, it's been a blessed life, you know, it's, uh, and well, you I grew mean, up here in South Florida. Are you, I was right? born. I was born and raised in Palm Beach. Born yeah. and raised in yeah. Palm Beach. Born right? at Good Samaritan and Hospital and grew up on the island and all I over mean, the I, world. And but this is home. I'll tell you, man. The fishing here in Stewart Jen, Jen, Jensen Beach until they destroyed the Indian River Lagoon, which is now making a slow comeback. Right. And that's kind of what I wanted the segue to. Oh God, man! It's uh, I got a lot to say about that. Yeah, I know you do. But it's um, it's uh. It's arguably some of the best fishing on the planet. I mean, I got sailfish, dolphin, kingfish, cobia, wahoo, grouper, snappers, pompano, permit, tarpon, bone, bonefish, sort of. You know, we don't sight cast them, but we catch them. Um, 
speckled trout, redfish, the best snook fishery on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, I mean, we've got big jacks. You know, we got such a plethora of species, you know, and it's all you can fly fish for. Like, look at Scott Hamilton out of Palm Beach. Right. Scott Hamilton, when he started his career, he said, I'm going to fish nothing but a fly rod. And I'm like, wow, that's ambitious. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, it's 25, 30 years later, and he has totally achieved that. Mm-hmm. And he's known around the world as you want to go catch fish on fly out of Palm Beach, you give Scott Hamilton a call. Right. Sharks, jacks, dolphin, tuna, yep. bonitas, you know, little tunnies, yep. albies. Which are fun. They're just oh, not good God, eating. Man. It's just you, such a good little fight and yeah, fish. Yeah, well, you but... can eat anything, you know. You can, you can, yeah. <laughs> All right. I, should, know, I guess thank, I should refuse Ready? That. Thank God we don't eat them because there wouldn't be any left. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's true. That's that's unfortunately that's our cross to bear. Is George was in here not too long ago. I mean, George is a regular yeah. at the studio, and he was kind of. We brought up Google Maps, and he was kind of pointing out some parts of the St. Lucie Inlet. Yeah, that he's like, see this? This was all grass bed. Yeah, now oh it's yeah, all sand. And right. You know, and he was like putting. He was showing me all the different parts. Yep. He's like, he's like, we're working on it. We're working on it. And you said something earlier when you were talking about Wyoming. I thought it was kind of funny when you said you were just being an annoying little kid. Yeah. But asking all the right questions. Because you're not really, you can only be so annoying when you're asking the right questions. Exactly. When you're asking the wrong questions, you're really annoying. Right, right. Right? But it's almost like you've taken that attitude to what the fight is right now. Oh, right? You're asking all the right questions. Absolutely. Right? I mean, so you've you know, been to the Hill. Right, I've, I've, I've this, been to Capitol. Right? I've been yeah. up to Tallahassee three times, to, yeah. you know, before the Senate subcommittee and, uh, you know, in front of Jack LaValla and Bradley and their whole, their bunch of people discussing, you know, this is a problem that's, it's, it's nothing that, you know, anyone really started by purpose or anything. It's just a, Man's problem is that we're going to progress. We started out as some ape that grabbed and chipped stone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right. And so then we, you know, made a tool and we got a bow and arrow and then we got a wheel and then we made fire. And, you know, all these things have happened. And however rudimentary it seems, it's progress, it's progress, it's progress, it's progress. Well, we're going to progress ourselves right out of a planet if we're not right. careful, you know? Yeah, agreed. And, you know, we've got too many people. That's why Australia is so appealing to me. Mm-hmm. 25, 30 million people on a continent and are a really big island, and we got that in Florida now. we got 24 million Well, that's, people you know, that, that's what I tried to explain to people. Right. I mean, and, and I want to get back to this real quick, but I just want to say this one thing since you brought that up. Yep. Is when a lot of these people were talking about, you know, especially when we had the shooting here in Parkland, right? About the gun control and blah blah blah, and like all the things that we need to do as Americans. It's like, well, listen, there's over 300 million people in this yeah. country, right? And they're trying to give us Australia stats, right? You're talking about a land that's huge and wide open, yeah. And there's as many people living in that entire country as there are in the state of Florida. Exactly. Right? So you cannot compare the two. No, no, you can't compare the two. And I'm, I mean, long live the Second Amendment. I'm a big gun proponent, and you know, I've I've got a handful of them, and I love to shoot birds, and I shoot a hog every now and then. I've not shot a deer, and I'm not really. Yeah, I'd like to go shoot an elk one day, but I, I don't want to walk real far to do it. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'll ride a horse maybe. Right. But, <laughs> yeah, you got to be but, real yeah. quiet so there's oh, no it's ATV just there. Too much. Yeah. yeah. It's um. You know, but I mean, our problem is we have a people problem. We have a progress. We have a people problem. We have a money problem, a greed problem. There's a lot of issues. I mean, they're going to, 
they're going to fill in a hundred and something acres up south of Palm Bay and out of. I re you posted of, uh, that wetland. yesterday. Yeah, they're, they're going to fill it in and build thirty five hundred homes. Shouldn't I mean? Come on, can we as a state do something? I mean, they they wanted all right. So this is what I, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. I saw you post that yesterday and I wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah, because they want to do eminent domain, like the whole concept right. of eminent it's, domain. Can't we do eminent domain to conserve? You would think so, but I mean, you know, this is marsh wetland that is. They're going to fill it in like There's, Dubai, right? They're going to fill it in and then they're going to leave a little bit here and a little bit there and they're going to mitigate something else down the road. But this is an entire ecosystem. Correct. That is there. It's been there. How is that not productive? Since protected? the beginning of time. How's that not an extension exactly. of the Everglades? It's, it's, it, oh, it is, but I mean, it's a hundred. Well, you, everything south of Orlando used to be the Everglades. Correct. You know, and I mean, there's a lot of nothing between Orlando and the North Shores of Lake Okeechobee. There's a lot of nothing. Right. And, and, and there's a lot of cattle and there's a lot of open space. And, you know, the issue is, is that when they hardened up the Kissimmee and made the Kissimmee flow faster and they got rid of the winding old Kissimmee River, which they have now reinstated mm-hmm. to the tune of billions of dollars, they've created a flowing, a meandering Kissimmee River again to aid in the effort to stop the massive influx of water into Lake Okeechobee. You know, you got all the cattle fields up there. You got all the pollution. You got Orlando. You know, I think when Walt Disney, you know, originally wanted Orlando to be Disney World, no one saw what was going to happen. Yeah, it was tough to forecast that. I, I say this. There's a few cities in the world that belong to the world, and Orlando's one of them Mm -hmm. because of Mickey Mouse. You know, I mean, there are people that come from all over the world to see a rat, you know, and Mickey Mouse and to hear the song, It's a Small World After All. And, 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 and New York City is one. Maybe mm-hmm. Hollywood, Los Angeles is one. Paris might be one, although I have no desire to go to Paris, <laughs> you know. And so basically there's those cities that are in America that sort of belong to the world. Right. And, and I mean, no one saw Orlando becoming the urban sprawl that it's become. And no one, you know, saw the future. No one after the hurricane of twenty eight, when the when the Lake Okeechobee flowed its banks and two thousand people died, and in the thirties they created the Herbert Hoover Dyke. No one saw the future. Mm-hmm. They created the Everglades agricultural area for some pole beans and tomatoes and lettuce, and then sugar comes in and. You know, the next thing you know, you got mechanized farming out there and they yeah. burn the fields and burn this and, you know, and, and then sugar becomes this political powerhouse with massive amounts of money. I watched and, that Rotten on Netflix. Yeah. The episode oh. on that. I mean, George was telling me that, you know, the fondules and everything like that. But, I grew up with them. Um, and basically, I'll say this. They're, they're, they're great people. I've flown in their jets. I have been to their homes. I have fished for them. I've made it in their cockpits. I have spent time. I've had laughter and joy and, 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 and fun. And I went to their birthday parties when I was in third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh, eighth grades. And Alfonso Escada and Andres Von Hool and Alex Von Hool and Norberto and Jesse, they're all great. And Lillian and, and, you know, they're all wonderful people. But their business sucks. I mean, sugar is, you know, it's bad. It's bad it's for bad us. Business. 
And, you know, and if you want to go back in time and talk in the early 60s when sugar went to the FDA and, and sugar wasn't the enemy anymore, right. not that it's ever really been the enemy until recently. We really figured well, with it the out. lobby. The sugar up, up, lobby up, up is in huge. Tallahassee. I mean, and they got more Washington, lobbyists for sugar in Tallahassee than any other industry, don't they? When, when the uh, when the Everglades it's something Foundation, like fifty or eighty like oh, lobbyists it's, it's or something like that. that. It's it's over a hundred. I mean, you got that many lobbyists up in Tallahassee just for one industry. We we, we got that flown, only a company a couple right couple of companies control. Right, we got flown up to Tallahassee in a Learjet by the Everglades Foundation or Everglades Trust or whatever. Mm -hmm. We got. Pick myself up and Patrick Stracuzzi, who's a realtor in, in uh, Stewart, Blair Wickstrom, and and um, a couple other people. I can't, I just can't remember who it is mm -hmm. right now. But uh, we we the we we, for we went. Water kind of thing. Well, they they were on the. They one of them might have been there. Dan or Dan might have been there. But anyway, we got we got we got flown up there and um, we met with their lawyers, and the lawyers said they have a hundred lobbyists here and they've got 150 ancillary people just were working. Mm -hmm. I can't, he goes, I cannot go out on this town on a Friday night and not run into at least six of their people. And their people are talking to the right people at the right time about the right stuff in a social way. So come Monday, it's yeah, on. It's done. You know, it's on. I mean, yeah. it's, Yeah. And and I mean, my mother called him. How do you fight that? You can't fight you can't, that. You can't. My, As well, anyone who's ever worked I'll in business knows thing. that that's that's where this things right happen. Here, yeah. Facebook and cell phones has created an awareness that would never be. Social media has allowed us to communicate this message. Yeah, we've said that to before everybody. too. Like without all those pictures and everything Forget that everyone was it, sharing, yep. and, and people wouldn't realize the, the, and, the gravity and, of the problem. And so now our next issue is the spraying deal. This Roundup, this glyphosate that yeah, they're right. spraying for the control of the aquatic vegetation. Yeah. Recently, there was a bass tournament somewhere, and every bass has tumors and lesions and all this stuff. And now they're saying send all this stuff to DeSantis's office. And hey, Ron's actually done some good work. You know? Ron's, so I wanted to you ask know? you about that because I'm a big fan of DeSantis. Me too. Right? I mean, and I, I think he's doing a great job. And I yeah. think the first, his first thing when he did is clean out the water council. Water management, first thing great, he did. great stuff. Uh, but I mean, you probably would know more than most really how good of a job he's doing. So I wanted to you get know, your opinion. I, I, I mean, by, by cleaning up um, the South Florida Water Management District was a huge thing. Then he just signed this reservoir the other day that they're going to start. Other than that, I, I kind of don't. I kind of stayed out. I just got burnt out okay. on it. Because we don't get too much into politics right, right, here in the show. Right, it's not our right, thing. Right. You know what and, I mean? But and, when it comes to water, that's the only thing we right. really like. Connected about. by water, you yeah. know? And I mean, Florida has. It's a subtle beauty that we have here. It's not the Grand Canyon. It's not Monument Valley. It's not the Tetons. It's not Yellowstone. We don't have grizzly bears and elks and deer and bison and all these beautiful animals our spokes animal is a dinosaur that eats people right you know if that dinosaur had a fluffy nose and floppy ears 
we wouldn't be having this conversation. Mm -hmm. But an alligator is not a great spokes animal. That's true. It's not. It puts the fear of God in people. So a good alligator is a dead alligator to a lot of people. And that's just the way I get it. I get yeah. it. You know? It's tough and to have mercy for an animal like it, that. It really they're ruthless. is. I mean, it's a, it's a devastating But in the same creature. respect, if you look at a grizzly bear, they're trying to protect all these grizzly, right. really, grizzly well, bears. They're no better. They're probably even worse. just as fast. Yeah. yeah you know? They're even worse. Right. But, you know, it, it's... But they're uh, cute and fluffy and we want well, to make cartoons out of them and everything cubs, like that. Yeah. Little baby, right. Yogi right. bear, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, the Everglades to a lot of people, it's, it's, it's not a beautiful national park. Mm -hmm. It's a subtle, to me it is, I mean, but, oh, to me too. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like the morning sun or the right. setting sun. Down in Flamingo or oh, like that. God, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, God's country I, I down just want to get on my hands and knees and just right. salute it and, yep. uh, you know, pray and please keep it, keep it the way it is. But, yep. you know, it's also Florida's a developer's dream. It's flat, it's hot. Soon, right. and, and fishing has very little bearing on it, especially inshore fish. Right. You know, trout, snook, redfish, stuff like that. You know, we don't really need them. It's we, not really the money we, maker we that offshore We need more golf is. courses. Yeah. You know, and I mean, Florida is, it's going to become warm weather and golf. Mm -hmm. That's it. You know, I mean, that's it. Well, that, down here, yeah. down here in, in Broward and, and yeah. Dave, they're actually starting to build on top of the golf courses. They're getting rid of the golf courses I'm, because yeah. there's nowhere. We're such a skinny plot of land right, down here right. that there's like, they're like, oh, that's prime real estate right. for us. We're, and how much are you making hey. per, per golfer? Hey, who said that? What movie was that statement? What's, what was Two it? biggest ways to real estate. Was it Caddy? Golf thing? courses and cemeteries. Hey, <laughs> me and Wang, we're going to buy the dump. <laughs> Hats off to you, Rodney. Yeah. No, it's, uh, that, and it's true. You know, I mean, golf courses and cemeteries, you know, it's, you don't need to be left behind here. Just let's, I'm going to get burnt and throw in the sea. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And everyone's going to say some words. I'm going to leave some money and they're going to have a party. It's going to be great. <laughs> You know, That's a pretty good outlook you got there yeah, on your demise I mean, there, Rufus. Year, years ago, a, a dear friend of my mother's did this. His name was Walter Shirley, and Walter was a groovy cat. And, um, I mean, he was a happening cat. I'll never forget Walter. Mm -hmm. I was just a little kid, you know. So Walter up and dies, and he leaves ten grand. And in, and in his will, he said, here's $10,000. It's going to go sit in the bank, and on this day, it shall be removed by this person. And... There will be a party at Club 21 in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Now, my mom went, and she said, man, I had such mixed feelings about it. For one, it was 10 years. Right. Who's still alive? Who, yeah. are, you know, who are we going to know? And she came away, and she, I, you know, she, I, I spoke to her, and she said, you know, it was a blast. Yeah. I saw people I hadn't seen in 10 years. Saw people I hadn't seen in, you know, five years and 20 years. You know, just everybody showed up. Mm -hmm. And it was a really good thing that Walter did by really doing this. That's really cool. And it was cool. And and so I'm going to do that. Well, at the end of the day, like everything you've done in your life, everything you've done as a fisherman and as an angler, as a conservationist, I mean, really would have no point if it wasn't for the friends you made along the way. Absolutely. You know, and th that's really what the basis yeah. of this show is all about, yeah. with the whole Connected by Water. It's yeah. like, you know, we can build a life around this industry. It is. But it's and really all about the friends you make along oh, the way man. and the and celebration of that. I've been I've been so fortunate to, you know, have, I've got so many friends and I love all of them. And even if I hadn't seen you in a while, I still think of you or this or that or yeah. look forward to seeing you again. And, 
And it's all about, you know, Flip Pallet said that. Flip Flip said, someone asked him once about, you know, what do you get out of fishing? And, and Flip said relationships. And I get it. But if you go deeper, and I spoke to Flip about this, and he even agreed, you know, because his, his was a relationship statement on the surface. But I ran into him at the IGFA one night, and I started saying, well, you know, yeah, it's a relationship, you and your friends. Mm-hmm. But it's also relationships with your tackle. I know how my knots are tied. I know how my rod throws. It's a relationship with your environment. It's a relationship with your boat. You know that when you turn at this speed, your boat's going to do this. It's not. There's so much more that goes into it than just your buddies. Granted, your buddies, you're high-fiving, you're laughing, you're catching fish. But it's the environment. It's nature. It's, you know, how you conduct yourself and your relationship with everything around you. And it's really a wonderful thing. You know, being on the water is, for one, it's, it's not to be taken lightly. You have to be on top of your game at Correct. all times. Yep. There are no seatbelts, you know. I mean, you better know your you be you better know your yeah. stuff and, and pay attention. That is, I tell kids these days, and I, you know, pay attention. Pay attention to everything. Pay attention. Just pay attention. Don't get slack-assed. Pay attention to your surroundings. When you walk up to the ATM, Pay attention. Mm-hmm. Look, look around you. It just takes a second. Don't leave stuff. My, my, my son had a surfboard stolen last night or ye- yesterday because he leaves it in the back of his pickup. Mm-hmm. And I told him, don't do that. It's going to get yanked. Yeah, it's not the movies. So, right, yeah. you know. And it got yanked. And he called me this morning. I was going to wake up and go take pictures of him surfing because the swell is epic. Yeah, it's, it's big right now. And he calls me just so pissed off that his board was stolen. And I told him, I said, you didn't pay attention. Mm-hmm. And it's just that simple. Pay attention. Yeah, you can you be know? mad. You can be as mad as, as to the culprit as much as you want, but it's yeah, not going to bring it beans. back. Yeah, you know. And I mean, he works on a '73 Jim Smith up in Stewart, and there he was slapping around on the boat yesterday and parked his truck at Ally. And I said, they got cameras. Mm-hmm. Go look at the cameras. Go talk to the guy. And look, and you're going to see someone lift that board out of the back of your truck, most likely, or it could have been stolen at the beach. But most like you know, yeah. don't leave stuff in the back of your truck, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I mean, I got his camper shell on my truck because I just got nervous. I was going to New Orleans, so I put a camper shell on the back of my truck, you know? Um, you I got to tell you, I got goosebumps when you just, the, with the whole thing you went in the, through about relationships and the things you, you know, yeah. you took Philip's comment to another yeah. level because, you know, we always try to define connected by water here. Right. And it's like this constant kind of, Right. Evolved, just like water is. It's like a flowing yeah. stream, just really trying to yep. pick apart this concept of, yeah. what, of what the whole connected by water theory is. And yeah. you know, we try to put it in words and we got it up. We got a little blurb on it on yeah. our site and stuff like that. But I always enjoy when someone like you comes in and gives their perspective on right. it because you're so right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the relationship goes another level. Oh, beyond, it goes you know? levels and, you know, and levels. Yeah. And, and it's so it, like, I, because whenever I hear something that's really refreshing and new with yeah. the concept, it just really just right. hits me home, and that was really great to hear you say oh, that, for it's, sure. Yeah, I mean, the weather, you know, your equipment, yeah. your buddies, your boat, your trailer, your truck, you know. I mean, there's all that. It's all fishing-related. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that my knots are good. I know I spool my line right, I this and all that. That's all relationships that you have. Just the history, you just and, don't you know, you remember, like, in decades before yeah. when you caught a fish in that same spot yeah. in that moment you had. Yeah, and, you know, you know and, sure. and, and it's all... 
you know, history repeating itself and paying yeah. attention. You know, like you talk to people and Steve Huff, you know, he's like the the best guide on the planet, you mm -hmm. know, and any guy that says anything else, although Jared Raskob's coming on pretty strong, you know. <laughs> but I mean, you know, Steve Huff for years was regarded as and still is as, you know, and I'll never forget the first time I met him. But he is just one of those guys who's constantly paying attention. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he remembers that this flat on this moon, five years, blah, blah, and this tide. And he goes there, and sure enough, there they are. I met Steve Huff in a Stout's restaurant in Marathon. I was fishing with Mike Hewlett. And we pull in there at, you know, 6.30 in the morning to have breakfast. And there's Steve and his client. You know, his client had driven down from Miami, flew in from New York, driven down from Miami the night before. Now, this guy's wearing an unbuttoned Oxford shirt, sitting at a restaurant, you know, with like two buttons tied together. Mm -hmm. He's got a pair of like loafers on. Not boat shoe loafers, but like low, like penny loafers, you yeah, know. Yeah. And you know he's a like a balding, like yuppie, like, like right. But but he's a balding fifty year old guy or whatever. And uh, you know I'm like twenty eight or twenty. You know I'm still a kid, and twenty seven or six or something. And and Mike goes, well, Rufus, I'd like to meet, introduce you to Steve Huff, and blah blah. And, hey, well, it's a pleasure to meet you, sir. And the angler, whoever the angler was, pleasure to meet you. And we sit down and scarf down our eggs and hit the road. And the next day we go back and there's Steve and this gentleman. And, you know, hey, well, how'd you guys do? Well, we had like four tarpon, three permit, and six bonefish. And I'm like, <laughs> you know. Good day. I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, how? How? You right. know? And, and, and then Mike kind of kicks me under the table and goes, it's shit. You know, that's, that, yeah. that's Steve. Right. You know, and I'm like, so Mike, he's a guy too? Huh? Hey, what's your number, Steve? <laughs> and I mean, we had a great day. I think I caught two permit and a bonefish or two permit and two yeah, bonefish. Yeah, you're going home happy with that. Oh, my God. I was ecstatic, yeah. you know? And it's just Mike explained to me later. He goes, Steve probably showed that guy more fish and he probably ran further than anybody in mm -hmm. history to find him but that's how he is and 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 you know those it, it's all you know part of it you know history repeating itself he knew that on that flat at that time because he's paying attention yeah you know you know one of the one of the things i love most about this show is i get to bring on guys like you that just know way more about fishing than i ever will Probably just because my craft is is different, you know. Yeah, well, but, I can't paint a sailfish, especially not that good. Well, I was going to say, I can't like even those, paint a stick figure sailfish. You know, <laughs> those stories that you're telling me, like I look at my brushes the same yeah. way. You know, and I yeah. look at my old palettes the same way. So I can look at a palette sometimes, like because I keep like a lot of my paper palettes. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. I and sometimes I can tell you the painting I painted on that, just cool. based upon like the local color. That's of it so cool. Is is badger still a good thing? What's that? In the world of brushes, badger? Uh, well, I mean, or has I, it gone to synthetics? Well, a lot of it is synthetics. Like China um, bristles or stuff like that? A lot of it's synthetics. They have hybrids now. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, I, I always like, you know, the the boar's tails and, and stuff like okay, that. Okay, boar's tail. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, there's so many companies now making them. I like to go to this Jerry's Artorama out in Deerfield yeah. Beach. It's really the best spot for brushes around. Cool. Um, other than buying them online. But when it comes to a brush, I like right. to touch and feel to, it. Right, yeah. yeah. I, I got I to see and I got to yeah. tell. It's kind of like with a fly. You, you got to have I mean? that relationship. Yeah, exactly. I got to touch and feel. And I can look at seven of the same right. brush that's like, you know, Windsor and Newton, number five, you know what I mean? <laughs> and whatever. And I'm like looking at that. It sounds like Chinese arithmetic yeah, to me, you know? And they'll, <laughs> they'll be 
they'll all be different. Wow. Uh, but it's, you know, it's coming off a manufactured line, but there's still a relationship with, you know, you're talking about yes. hairs and bristles and everything like that. And they got right. a flow right and they got a pinch right, Oof. you know, and things like that. And I'll just, I'll just inspect like all seven of them. Like, yep, that one. That's you the know? one. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, so cool. And sometimes I get brushes in there I've had since I was like 14 years old. Right. 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 That's, that's so, just, that's, that's so like, cool. and, I, and I name them. Right. You know, because Come on, just, Fred, yeah, I know exactly what that one <laughs> yeah. brush does for that yep. one thing, and yep. I know that it's going to get that edge just right. Ah, and, you know, that's but so yeah, cool. so it's like yeah, they, they tell stories, and yes, they do. Yeah, you know, and um, you know, I want to go back really quick just before we wrap okay. this up to um, water and okay. the state of Florida. Yeah, right, because we love our state of Florida. Yes, we do. Um, we're both Florida natives. Uh, we want to <laughs> take care of our backyard here, and we want people to be responsible. And we want people to pay attention. Mm-hmm. More than you know, more importantly than anything else, um, you know, there's obviously a swath of land that we'd like to have opened up. Um, and hopefully, that happens one day. I think that'll solve a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Jeff in the studio, Jeff Maggio, Lunker Dog, in the studio yep, yesterday. Yep. We were having a conversation about. Um, he's, he thinks that we should put a no vacancy sign up in, in the front door of Florida. Absolutely. And oh, you know, yeah. you can't let no it, you know, we it. can't do this anymore um, I, I because, get it. because we think sprawl, you know, it's coming, you know, it's, it's really just the impervious surfaces and everything yeah. kind of creeping into the center of the state yeah. really is the biggest problem yeah. of all of it. Um, but I think sugar is number one, but the sprawl is a very close number two yeah. is the way I kind of see it. Yeah. Um, what in your mind ideally needs to happen. I mean, we talk about no vacancy or whatever the case may be. I don't know. That's, I mean, that's not going to happen. Not going to happen. you know, the thing is, is that responsible construction, responsible ecological style, and, you know, some, you know, more brick pavers, not concrete. Right. More permeable surface. But we got to stop the number of people. I, I mean, it's just, you look at Broward County, it's built out. You can't go any further west. It's right. over. Right. So, like you say, golf courses are falling. Yeah. You know, and that's it. That's what's going to happen. You know, soon it's going to be golf courses are yeah. going to, there's, you know, 200 acres. That's 5,000 homes. Boom. That's more tax base. That's more, you know, um, I mean, it's the bottom line is is people management. People management. We have to manage the number of people that come here. I heard someone told me, I don't know how true it is, that last year it was almost 2 million people moved into Florida. Now, it used to be a million. Yeah. You know, like a million people would come is a that, year. That and the, then, is that the And the, then a million the net, people would the die. The net increase was 2 million? I don't, I don't know, and I'm not sure that that's even true. Right. But I know that 700,000 people left California and seven or 800,000 yeah. people left New York yeah. and s- several hundred thousand people leaving New Jersey. So there's a lot of people yeah, well, They moving. got some harebrained schemes. They got them. some and, stuff and, yeah. going on up there that's hopefully never comes here. But, um, I, I mean, it's, it's just, I don't know, man. I, I'm, so I mean, it's, we've got to keep stop. fighting the good fight. We just right? got to, I, mean, I mean, the Mosquito Lagoon is dead. The you Indian, still, right, the do you South, think that's ever going to come back? I don't know because they don't have a way to flush it. Is there, there's no way there's to flush no, it, right? right? You know, there's wow. no way to flush it. There's no real inlet there. You know, you get up to Scottsmore, anything north of, you know, like Cocoa, mm-hmm. there's no inlet up there really right. except Canaveral or whatever it is. But that's, you know, that's like limited in, in, in its access. I mean, the Banana River right. is all dead or dying. 
the Northern Indian River Lagoon, you know, Scottsmore has no tide. It's just rainwater, you know, dictates the rise and fall up there. Right. And this, if the salinity gets high, you get an algae bloom and boom, it's everything dies. And now down by us, it's period the Lake Okeechobee waterway. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that's why years ago, the CCA, you know, a lot of people are pissed off at the Coastal Conservation Association. And we lost a lot of local support because they wouldn't sign the Now or Never Glades Declaration. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't get involved basically because it's not their mission statement. It okay. never was. It never has been. They right. are now getting involved a little bit. And they have coached DeSantis and they were involved. You know, they've always been in the background mm-hmm. regarding the water. I mean, I remember... 15 years ago, trying to get Scott Nichols, who was my regional director, Scott, come on, we got to do something about the water. We got to do something about the water. And they never took a stance on it. And then finally, CEO Brian Gorski got a hold of me and said, look, I hear you're really concerned with us. And I go, yeah, I am. I mean, I'm a pro- I'm a, I'm your Martin County chapter president. Right. We are the exhaust pipe from Lake Okeechobee, right? Goes right down my river, the St. Lucie. I live on the St. Lucie. My fish camp's on the Indian River. You guys hold your inner chapter challenge here. We have banquets here every year, and I'm losing support by droves yeah. locally. I lost the Stewart Rod and Reel Club, the Stewart Fly Rodders. I lost every guide. I used to get a half-day trip out of every guide for our Mm -hmm. auction to donate, to couple it with, you know, we'd take, like, Captain So-and-so and and Captain So-and-so and and put them together, and then I'd donate two-night, three-day stay at the fish camp. And we'd send it to Tampa or send it to Naples or send it to Polk County or Manatee County or friggin', you know, Destin or whatever to get people to come down and and do this. Or I'd throw in a third day and give them a three-night, four-day stay and hook up two or three guides and, you know, did all this stuff. And then, boom, I lose all the support. And it became very frustrating. So Gorski called me and said, look, here's the deal. We're not a water advocacy group. We have a mission statement. We are a fisheries management group and a fisherman's rights and, and access group. That's what we do. That's what we've always done. We can't change mid-stride. We also can't afford it. How mm-hmm. do we fight it? How do we we're, we operate That's on— That's the thing a lot of people don't see. This is a very expensive fight. A very expensive fight. fight. I mean, Paul Tudor Jones has the put lawyers alone. $40 million of his own money into it, and I think he's got an STA named after him. God, you know, me. so, wow. you know, I mean, you can't fight. This is big. Yeah. Sugar, the lobby— they're like the lawyer said, they got all the right people in all the right places. Mm-hmm. They had Clinton in their pocket, they had Bush in their pocket, right. they got Trump, they probably have Trump in their pocket. Well, I don't know. They alluded to that in that whole yeah. rotten right. documentary that the, the, the breaking the Lewinsky thing, and then all yeah. of a sudden, you know, there was a little bit of a well, Alfie Von the, the, the door closed right, in the Oval right, Office, right, and then everything right. changed. Monica's, you know, un- unzipping the presidential fly, and the phone rings, yeah. and it's Alfie Von Hall. Yeah. I mean, come on. How do you beat that? Yeah. I mean, they're going right to El Jefe with a phone call. Right. It's insane. But And that was in Time magazine. I you always know. say, I always say that I really, really, really hope that um, Ron DeSantis becomes president one day. I think he's got the tools for it. He does. But, but I just know. hope that this situation doesn't yeah. overwhelm him. Because I think this is probably like the one thing. Well, this is that his test. Affect, yeah, this is the test that's going to really affect test. that. 
you know, and I mean, our country is so divided right now. It's insane. I mean, I don't know what the future has. It is. I mean, I've been a lifelong conservative. I bend on a lot of issues, you know, fiscal conservancy and, and environment are two issues I'd rather not bend on. Right. But all the social stuff, I don't care anymore. I don't care who kisses who and who loves who. And that's all great. Everyone's entitled to happiness, you know, and, uh, and I won't get into the other one, but there's another yeah, social issue. Sure. I, I, I'm fine. If that's what you got to do, honey, that's what you got to do. Right. It's, uh, but I, you know, I just, I pray for the future. You know, I pray for our environment. You know, everybody says, Oh, this administration's lifting the EPA guidelines and they're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. No, they're not going to just dump garbage into a stream. I, well, doubt I think they're that. basically, they're just changing things for the better, really. They're just going to throw away the old I, I because mean, the old really wasn't that good. They right. weren't thought it was, but it's right. not. They're going to put in the better circumstances. And yeah, they're going to, they're going to reroute stuff. And, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff on paper that probably doesn't look that good anymore. And right. you can put I the mean, word environment I mean, on something and you, everyone loves it, but uh, you got to really read the fine print of right. what, what that, because exactly. that there exactly. also might be another hidden law bolted onto the back of that that exactly. needs to get rid of that we need to just scrap that policy and yep. put into something that is just it's straight environment all way above my pay grade but all i know is that yeah, the, the country economically i mean economically is doing well and you got me talking about politics know, yeah there, we never do you that know i mean the, you know the 401ks <laughs> for millions of people are killing it you yeah. know and all that kind of stuff and so i guess that's a positive thing but you know then again there's an argument the other way too that a lot of it's not that great and i you know i don't know i just I'm just going to go fishing. Yeah, see? You know, I'm just right going to go fishing, man. That's what it all comes back to, Rufus. I'm going to launch like the just, boat. That's what we talked about before we yep. even started the show is the fact that I haven't really been fishing all that right. much this year, and you know, that's my goal for next year. I'm going to launch the, the boat, more. get my cast net out, get my sabiki rig out. Sometimes that's throw all the, you can do. Throw the dog on the boat and go chuck a net. Yeah. And go sit by a bridge or something or by the inlet and... Hopefully get a bite. That's the life, man. You know? That's yep. the life. So um, I really, 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 really want to thank you for coming on the show today. It's my, it's my pleasure. This has been phenomenal. You know I love you to death. I man. always have and I always will. Feelings mutual. Um, you know, the... Um, I feel like I was on, I listened to a podcast today. You made my job like super cool. easy today. Uh, this has been really I got a wonderful. lot to say about a lot of stuff. And I think you broke uh, John's wrist over there. He's like yeah. taking copious <laughs> notes. And so uh, we call John the snook master here. So he don't tell him that you can't yeah. tell him. Yes. I'm yes, nowhere near the snook master. So uh, while you got Rufus in the room, you want to ask him any questions here? You know, you're, you're sitting. You're sitting in the presence of greatness here. So, I can't think of anything right yeah, now. I'm I just focusing. Yeah. Focus well, on when this. you guys want to come on up, man, you got you oh, got a, sure. you got a weekend of the fish camp anytime you need it, and come on up. It's on me, and I'll take you fishing. Awesome. Sounds great. You know, Thank you. and bring the wife and the kids, and absolutely, she can will. either hang out at the pool or or go shopping or whatever. Love it. You know, love it. Dig it. So uh, let's see. My like my buddy Mike G always says, your ego is not your amigo. Right? right, just always do your best, and then just let God do the rest. Remind you to always uh, buy your vehicles at Joey Cardi, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Subaru, and no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we're always connected by water. Rufus Wakeman, I appreciate your time today, sir. Thank you very my, much. My pleasure. Rock and roll. Yep. <laughs> that was awesome.